Strong voices. It's not just about one state. It's not just about one community. It's about all of our communities. The issues that face Indigenous peoples around the world sit at the heart of the questions that we're asking about the future of our political order. I am here and now, and I speak my language. I practice my cultural essence of me. What we do need is a more critical race consciousness in this country, a preparedness to talk about race, to talk about the way in which racialized logics are inscribed upon our bodies, and to critically examine them in order to change it. The government's changed, but we're going to be still here. We're always going to be still here. We've been here for 65,000 years, and I don't think we're going to go anywhere. What the system still struggles with is this collaboration with First Nations people. A strong voice is an Aboriginal voice. Hello, welcome and good morning. It's, of course, once again time for Strong Voices. We're coming to you live from the Calm Radio Studios here in uh, the Red Centre in Abantua, Alice Springs on Arundi Country. We're broadcasting to all nations through Vast Channel 911. We're coming to you on 8 FM here in Alice Springs on 100.5. Today's, of course, the start of the week. It's Monday, the 26th of August, 2019. I'm your host, Kyle Dowling. Great to be with you once again. We're coming up on Strong Voices. Uh, we're going to be heading down to Victoria, where moves to decriminalise uh, public drunkenness are underway, which was announced just days prior to the coronial inquest into the death of Yorta Yorta woman Tanya Day, who, d- who died in police custody in 2017. That uh, inquest beginning today. Also, on the 23rd of August, uh, 1996, 200 uh, Gurindji, Mudbara and Walpuri people, including stockmen, domestic workers, elders and children, worked off Wave Hill Station to protest the starvation uh, rations, low wages and constant violence handed out by the wealthy, wealthy station owners. The anniversary uh, last Friday was marked with a Freedom Day event. Gurindji uh, leader Rob Roy will be discussing uh, why it's important to continue the legacy. Also, Australia will be seeing, uh, could see an increase in the number of First Nations peoples in the film industry due to a new initiative in South Australia and the Northern Territory. We're going to be hearing about uh, that from the head of Screen Territory, Jenny Hughes, on the program today as well. And we're, of course, going to be bringing you the latest in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander news from right across the country. All of that coming up very soon, but we're going to go to a quick break now and then we'll be right back. Hey, Mob, this is Patrick Johnson, and you're listening to Strong Voices. Be deadly and stay deadly. You're listening to Strong Voices here on Calm Radio. Well, in 2017, Yorta Yorta woman Tanya Day fell and hit her head while in police custody and died in hospital from a brain hemorrhage a few weeks later. Days prior to the coronial inquest into her death, which began today, the Attorney General announced moves to decriminalise public drunkenness in the state of Victoria. However, the news uh, is bittersweet for Miss Day's daughters, April Watson and Belinda Stevens. Uh, it's great that you know that we're moving towards a, a health response. Um, that's certainly what we've been advocating for, and and many families and communities before us. I think we also need to acknowledge that you know it was a major failure in the Victorian government's part to not implement these recommendations at the Royal Commission. And if they had done so, our mum and other Aboriginal people would still be here today. 
The move towards a health-based response comes some 30 years after the recommendation was put forward by the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. The Royal Commission published its final report in April of 1991, handing down 339 recommendations, including the states and territories decriminalise public drunkenness. The Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service CEO, Narita Waite, says the announcement is welcomed, but that if this was implemented sooner, Tanya Day would still be alive. This has been as a result of the family's calls for community-controlled health-based alternatives, and that's in large part due to the death of their mother. So their mother, Tanya Day, had got on the train to Melbourne and never made it home. She'd fallen asleep on the train and was arrested for public drunkenness. She died after sustaining a serious head injury in a police cell at Castlemaine Police Station the same day as the police officer's Christmas party. Our CCD footage were missing and she was only 55 years old. If this offence had been repealed at that point and a health-based alternative implemented, Tanya Day wouldn't be dead today and she would be with her family and that's why this is important. This has come some 30 years since the Royal Commission to Aboriginal Deaths in Custody made the recommendation. Why do you think it's taken so long? Perhaps it was fear of community response, uh, fear of the police response. Um, I'm not entirely sure. There could be, I mean, there have been a range of factors and we could theorise that they didn't think that this was that important. Um, they couldn't see the everyday effects of it like we can as Aboriginal communities because you don't see people getting arrested and dying on the way home from the Melbourne Cup or a footy match and that there are public responses that do work in other jurisdictions but Victoria didn't implement those because it wasn't people from a Melbourne Cup or a footy match. It was people heading home from trains from their communities back to their families. And that's probably why. Mm, there, there was obviously some discussion, you know, in the past as well in terms of these laws, I guess, almost targeting Aboriginal people in a way. Do, do you think that's sort of the case as well? Well, if we look at um, just our political experience of the way this offence works, it's not people who are non-Aboriginal people who are travelling uh, home from, say, Brisbane Lions versus Tigers game. It's Aboriginal people on trains, Aboriginal people walking home, Aboriginal people uh, being in a public venue. Those are the ones who are targeted. Those are the ones who this offence is used against because they're seen as unruly and a risk. Interestingly, the announcement does come just days before the coronial inquest into the death of, of Yorta Yorta woman uh, Tanya Day, which I believe is beginning today. Uh, obviously, the family and others have been pushing for this for, for quite some time. Do, do you think, though, that this coronial inquest played a role in this announcement? Oh, for sure. Um, the coroner had actually called for this offence to be abolished and had asked uh, the state to respond to her. Uh, prior to the inquest starting. So no doubt that played a factor in the timing. It's a pretty sad reality then, isn't it, that it it takes the death of a woman, uh, you know, the loss of a community member for something to essentially spark action in this area. Exactly. It it is heartbreaking and further embeds those cycles of trauma when it takes our people uh, being killed as a result of offences that should have been gone quite some time ago in order to spark a change. We're thankful that the coroner made this recommendation and focused the state's attention on it. Um, Vows and other Aboriginal legal services in in their respective jurisdictions have had some luck in abolishing those uh, offences and have also been very supportive in our calls for over 30 years to have this offence abolished. Um, But it's also really important to note that the inquest that's being 
episode this week not only focuses on this public drunkenness offence, but also focuses on uh, calls for accountability after the death of Tanya Day, um, calling for independent investigations into deaths in custody and eradicating systematic racism from, from justice institutions. And that particular last one in terms of the, um, you know, the racism that's embedded within the systems, I imagine that obviously that was quite a landmark decision when it was first brought up that that was potentially going to be explored. Do you hold that belief as well, that it's obviously a very significant thing to explore during this inquest? It's an essential matter to investigate within this inquest. Once again, it's sad that it's taken this inquest and this death for this issue to be explored because our experience as a justice system is that one of systemic racism. This concept isn't new to Aboriginal communities. It's not even new to courts and uh, advocates within it who see how the system systematically pinpoints Aboriginal people as compared to their non-Aboriginal counterparts. And since the Royal Commission uh, into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody some 30 years ago, it, it's been reported that around 500 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have died in custody uh, nationally since then. Uh, what other measures do you think need to be taken in, in order to assure, ensure that you know mob aren't dying in custody? Because, I mean, that, that's a ridiculous number. Yes, uh, as you say, four, uh, 514 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have died in custody across Australia since the Rikidik uh, review. None of those people should have died. The implementation of the Rikidik recommendations uh, is not complete. There are still an, a large number outstanding. Uh, those that have been implemented took significant time to implement. You're not talking a year or two, you're talking decades. Those recommendations in Rikidik we want fully implemented, but also subsequent reports um, that have been produced and that have the voices of Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islander people within them. And we need to be focusing not just on that point of interaction with the justice system, but prior to that, we need to be investing more in early prevention and diversion, uh, investing in our children, um, in our families, so that there is less chance of interaction with the justice system that is skewed against them. That was uh, Narita Wade there, the CEO of the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service, ending that report. We're going to go to a track now, and then we'll be right back with our next interview. On top of our own strong face, Nana, news, about Nguyen Mapa or Nguyen Community or your station, Cam Radio and 8KN FM. That's right, you're listening to Calm uh, Radio and you're listening to Strong Voices at the moment here with me, Carl Dowling. Well, the Wave Hill walk-off was a pivotal early moment in the National Aboriginal Land Rights Movement and eventually led to Prime Minister Goth Whitlam, uh, Goth Whitlam's symbolic land handback in 1975. Jimmy Wave Hill was 18 years old when he walked off Wave Hill Station in demand of uh, fair pay and equal rights. That was uh, 53 years ago from last Friday. Paul Wiles files this report. On the 23rd of August 1966, 200 Gurindji, Mudra and Walpuri people, including stockmen, domestic workers, elders and children, walked off Wave Hill Station 
to protest the starvation rations, low wages and constant violence handed out by the wealthy station owners. The old people's bravery and determination showed the conditions that thousands of First Nations peoples across North and Central Australia lived under and forced Aboriginal land rights onto the national political agenda. Gurindji leader Rob Roy tells Karma Radio that while it's important to continue the legacy left by Vincent Lingiari and others involved in the walk-off, First Nations peoples continue to face ongoing struggles. I'm Rob Roy, I'm a Finland Kamara, which is Takamara, your way. And I'm from Kalkuringi, I'm a Gurindji man, grandmother's side, uh, TL4 Kalkuringi, so... And I work with the Kuringi Avenue Corporation as coordinator. We want to keep the legacy of Vitalingiari and the giant men and women and children that walked off 53 years ago. Uh, keep up with the legacy and keep it keep it going, uh, passing it down to younger generations um, and uh, preserving our culture um, and our language and our history. The significance of the walk-off, bearing in mind that back then the mob didn't have much say in anything and and to take the stance that they took it needed a lot of courage and standing up against what many would have said was an impossible win yes that is so true so you know here is one one man children man woman behind him against all odds i mean he was really serious about moving on getting his land back getting his son to back for better education better health um you know and better living conditions and fair wages so he Back then, the mob were expected to work hard for very little financial recompense. The message and, and the significance of the walk-off is still relevant today because, sadly for many First Nations peoples around the world, they're still up against colonisation and everything that it brought. Yeah, well, you know, there is still struggle happening. There is still hope for, um, you know, getting our voice heard in the, in the Constitution and to push that on. Um, surely the Australian government at the time, given the land back to Gary, I'm sure that this government would be able to put at least an Indigenous voice in a parliament through a Makarata and uh, Truth and Treaty and, um, you know, the voice, one voice, but a strong voice. <laughs> School education in Strong voice we celebrate. And that's why we celebrate Freedom Day Festival. I was very surprised when I got up. There were more numbers here compared to last year, so we got a pretty good turnout. We still got still people still coming in. We had speakers from Mullandary, McCarthy, uh, the speakers from the member for Mambajira and the member for Nornboy. Um, and then we had both delegate members, the Deputy Chair of CLC and the Chairperson of the NLC gave a speech. Reinforcing education is the key to a lot of the kids and to also empower um, our voice and our vision through education and through ceremonies and culture, such as the Gurindji Freedom Day. Yeah. Happy to have more visitors next year and the year after. Uh, year after.
which is the 55th anniversary. So, you know, people really like to come and experience the Gurindji country and to help us celebrate the most powerful and significant event that took place 53 years ago. I'm sure we can do that on a yearly basis. So I, you know, welcome and invite everybody throughout the NT and throughout the country. Thomas Mayer is a Torres Strait Islander man raised on Larrakia land in Darwin. He's secretary of the Northern Territory branch of the Maritime Union of Australia and a regular attendee at the Freedom Day celebrations. It took incredible courage to walk off and also when you consider that the massacres of their families had not happened that long before. I think it was in the the late 1920s. Uh, was the last uh, big massacre. But they tried walking off before, but they walked off this time knowing that they had the support of the union movement, and it's something that makes me very proud to be a unionist, that the wharfies and the seafarers uh, didn't hesitate to get behind uh, the Gurindji people in that, that struggle. It's something that the entire country should be celebrating. It should be a much bigger occasion, this, this anniversary. You could liken it to you know, the Eureka Stockade or, or any other wonderful moment that this country celebrates. The walk-off was a turning point in land rights. It gave so many more Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people confidence to stand up and fight for their rights around the country. And, uh, you know, and it was a catalyst for, for very important change. I mean, the wealth built on the backs of black suffering is, um, is something that requires adjustment. It, it, and it's urgent as well because of the effects on health, intergenerational trauma that comes from it. You know, a lot of elders have already passed on. I mean, people are getting old and their families deserve uh, that, that correction in, uh, to Australia's history as well in way of reinstating the wealth that was taken from them, not only the land but from their, from their labour. And that's, that's work that is urgent. And it's one of the reasons why I support the First Nations voice in China and the Constitution because, you, you know, uh, an organised uh, national voice can really move this along quicker than um, the, the incredibly slow pace that it is moving at at the moment. The Deputy Prime Minister uh, recently put his foot in and as well in regard to his response to global warming when he was saying that the uh, South Pacific uh, Islanders would survive because they come and pick fruit. Again, it certainly signified that uh, this old mentality of uh, viewing a cheap workforce is still alive well and kicking. What utterly disgraceful comments they were, you know. I mean, if... If any Australian today is not disgusted by those comments, you know, and the, just the blatant uh, white supremacy in, in you know, his, uh, you know, what he was saying, uh, is, if people aren't offended by that and can't see that there needs to be major change, um, then, you know, I mean, they're kidding themselves. I mean, what disgusting comments. This is why we need to balance things. And this is why there has to be a First Nations voice. This is why there has to be reparations. You know, this is this is why we really need to have a look at the people that are representing us in Parliament and uh, and have a serious think about who we're electing. I mean, it was disgraceful. Gather round people, I'll tell you a story, an eight-year-long story of power and pride. British Lord Vesting, Vincent Lingyari, for opposite men on opposite sides. That report was from Karma's Paul Wiles. We're going to go to a quick break now and then we'll be right back with the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander news from right around the country. What's up? You're listening to Strong Voices on Karma Radio. 
Yes, the strong voices on Calm Radio. I'm very happy to welcome into the Karma studio, Karma's Paul Wiles and Damien Williams. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Good morning. Well, it's time for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island news from around the country. We'll start with you, Damien. I understand you've got a story this morning in regards to uh, Queensland passing a law to keep kids out of prison. Yes, uh, the story from the SBS um says that a new bill a new bill passes through Queensland Parliament to improve safety of juveniles in detention but indigenous rights activists say more can be done the youth, youth justice and other legislation amendment bill 2019 was passed through Queensland Parliament um, last Friday in a step towards ensuring children are no longer kept in police watch houses. Uh, the, the changes support young people not being detained on remand in facilities other than um, for normal arrest and processing. According to the Queensland Government, uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children make up 78% of children sentenced to detention, while only 8% of children um Age 10 to 17 in Queensland are Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander. Um, so, yeah, hopefully, um, you know, get those numbers down um, for our young mob there. Yeah. Well, Queensland uh, was really in the headlines um, towards the end of last year uh, um, and into earlier this year, uh, certainly in regard to the um, number of incidents involving uh, young, um, very young uh, uh, youth being uh, held in uh, adult uh, detention and uh, there were a couple of very uh, messy cases uh, for the Queensland government that uh, turned the national focus back on them and uh, people were starting to ask questions uh, well you know basically why uh, are children uh, being uh, held in detention and often uh, um, without uh, having their case heard or, uh, you know, the case not even having gone to court. So um, obviously the uh, Queensland government has uh, responded to that criticism and uh, let's hope we see uh, something flow from that. Yeah. And obviously, obviously when we had the Royal Commission as well, a lot of the groups that we were hearing were actually calling uh, on other areas, obviously, to have, you know, youth justice looked at not just here in the northern territory and actually had the royal commission actually at a national level so obviously said that would have been something that you know tied in and, and perhaps shone a, a greater light on what's happening in queensland well we have seen across the nation even uh, we know even in western australia which has uh, appalling rates of uh, youth incarceration um they uh, they've tried to address it so i mean it is uh, something that uh, is starting to happen uh, but still a long way to go. Well, on to our next story, on to you, Paul. You've got a story this morning, I understand, that uh, shows that First Nations peoples are actually more likely to be jailed than African Americans. Well, this follows on from what we've just been discussing, really, and um, um, the rate of incarceration of Australia's First Nations, uh, uh, again, from an international perspective, uh, has really been questioned over the... Um, the last uh, five years, um, the, the last decade, but uh, a new uh, data released today shows that First Nations Australians are now more likely to be jailed than African Americans. According to the data, a quarter of uh, Indigenous men born in the 1970s have now served time in prison. In 2000, um, 
African Americans were jailed at more than twice the rate of uh, Indigenous Australians. Uh, but in 2017, the uh, African American incarceration rate had fallen below that of uh, the rates that the Australia's First Peoples were uh, were suffering. Uh, Labor frontbencher Andrew Lee, who crunched the numbers from the Australian Bureau of Statistics, uh, says in a research paper that has been released today uh, that Australia's incarceration rate had spiked by 130 per cent since 1985, despite a fall in crime rates. Uh, Dr. Lee, who was an academic economist uh, before he uh, entered into politics, says the trend could be attributed to both legislative reforms such as mandatory sentencing and uh, a shift among judges towards tougher sentencing and more stringent bail conditions. I think we might try and get uh, hold of Andrew Lee and uh, have a discussion with him. Uh, It's obviously something that... um, it's at many different levels and layers and, uh, you know, we need to break that down and uh, see what the states and territories can be doing um, better in, in reducing uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander incarceration rates. Mm. Well, on that note, uh, Paul, Damien, thank you both for joining us for the news from around the country. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to go to a quick break now and we'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Strong Voices on Karma Radio. Well, a new joint initiative between the uh, South Australian Film uh, Corporation and Screen Territory aims to increase the number of First Nations peoples in the film industry. Made up of six projects, Centralised will help to showcase, develop and connect Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander filmmakers and creatives to resources that will allow them to produce their works. Carmen's Damien Williams spoke with Jenny Hughes, the Director of Screen Territory, about some of the projects. Centralised, I mean, first of all, we're really excited about it. It's just a a wonderful initiative. And what it enables us to do is kind of blur the borders between the Territory and South Australia. And it enables us to tap into the enormous talent, um, the Indigenous talent in particular, uh, between um, both uh, both Territory and State. So uh, we got together with South Australian Film Corp, that was uh, uh, Screen Territory, Um, and then also Screen Australia came on board. Uh, ABC, uh, NITV, we've got uh, Documentary Australia Foundation and Actors, the Australian Film, Television and Radio School. So we all came together and said, look, we, there's been such enormous talent that, is, that has come out of that middle of Australia. Most people always concentrate on the coast. And, um, you know, if you have a look at some of our great filmmakers, such as Warwick Thornton, we've got Rachel Perkins. Um, we've got, uh, you know, the wonderful Miranda Tapsell came from the top end. We've got all these wonderful filmmakers uh, and we thought, let's let's have a look at how we can tap into the next generation of filmmakers in the middle of Australia. And uh, we believe that there's some really great emerging talent there. So that was the background to it. So we're, we're pretty excited to actually have it um, off and running. Centralised is actually a joint initiative between all of those parties. And we'll come together and work on a number of different initiatives. The first initiative we've got coming through is the uh, web series or the online series with Karma, which is being done with Karma, which we're so thrilled to be um, participating in. Um, So that's the the first one. It's a a web series workshop, uh, which we're having first, but it's going to result in um, probably about three to to five episodes of um, of online uh, content, uh, around about three to five minutes per episode. 
that we'll be able to uh, broadcast. So either on, uh, you know, on ABC or NITV or both, or even on in that online space. So it could be, you know, somewhere where it's going on to any of the online platforms. But um, so we're going to have a number of initiatives underneath the centralised banner. Uh, and sometimes some of the, you know, all parties will work together. Other times it might be just a couple of us. But the idea is we can start really um, putting some really good initiatives into uh, into that um, into that centralised banner. So the first initiative we've got, which is um, starting at Karma, is the uh, is the web series. And we're starting off with a, a workshop at Karma, which goes for about uh, I think five days. Um, and we're just uh, confirming who the uh, who the uh, guest will be, and it's going to be a very high profile Indigenous practitioner uh, that's going to come in to uh, to help uh, help our. Uh, selected uh, participants establish their series. So, uh, yeah, so it, basically the web series is to unearth that wonderful talent between South Australia and NT, uh, and that will culminate in a, a, a workshop at Karma. Why uh, a web series? Well, because it was something that we could get together really, really quickly. And also the fact is, is that we could, we could make sure it was funded. So we wanted to make sure there was an outcome. It wasn't just a workshop. And um, the web series and the shorter series are working really well. If you have a look at something like Dylan Rivers' Robbie Hood, for example, um, fantastic 10-minute episodes. Uh, and it was described by The Australian as the most perfect piece of television created this year. So, you know, it doesn't have to be uh, longer form. It can be shorter form. And, and the good thing is with short form, it enables us to really... Um, you know, really kind of help our emerging screen practitioners, I think, and really hone their talent. Uh, when you're doing the longer form, you know, it'll take much longer to develop a longer form content. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's a far far longer process. And also it takes longer to fund because they're much more expensive. So on this, we thought, let's let's get moving. Let's let's go, you know, and let's kind of unearth some talent and, and let's let's make something. Let's make some content. So on the um, web-based, uh, the web series, um, what sort of things do people need to provide to be able to be successful um, to be able to get that opportunity? Well, look, what they need to do is um, you need to come up with um, some ideas. So what we're asking for is basically a two-page, um, I think a two-page summary of your idea. So outlining the characters um, and why it's suited to an online audience. Um, just a writer's and director's statement discussing the style and tone of the series uh, and maybe a 200-word bio for the creative team members, including any screen credits and other relevant works. But it can be an individual too. So what we might do is, is put teams together. So what we want to do is encourage everyone to apply. Um, just if you've got a really good idea that you think would really sort of cross to that uh, online space, uh, just put your two-page concept together, outlining your characters and and why you think it'd be it'd be suited to an online audience. So it's just you know we're not being prescriptive about any ideas. We want we want to hear from the emerging um, emerging filmmakers. We want to hear what you've got on offer. So we're looking for just just ideas. Be creative is what we what we want them to be. And, and so, what are some of the other initiatives uh, that uh, Centralised will focus on? Well, there's another one with the Carla Grant Initiative, which is just being formed at the moment. Um, and that will be uh, interviews, I think, with uh, Carla interviewing six, uh, six high-profile Australians. 
and uh, we're just uh, putting that together at the moment with uh, South Australian Film Corp. Uh, and I think there's another couple that they've got under there as well. But what we'll do is the centralised initiatives is going to run for, I think, initially for two years. So we're going to be able to put uh, many um, ideas underneath that. There's a couple that I can't announce at the moment, but they'll be they'll be coming up over the next few months. We're just working them up at the moment. So, um, so what it's provided us with is a real. Um, is an umbrella essentially under which we can we can join with South Australian Film Corp um, with Screen Territory and South Australian Film Corporation, and really come up with um, some ideas that we feel really tap into that um, really amazing talent uh, in the centre of Australia, going right up the middle rather than the coast. And, and how important is it to get uh, more of our mob, um, you know, on screen, uh, behind the camera and, uh, you know, directing and writing and, and all that kind of stuff? How important do you see um, that uh, being a part of the Australian screen and television industry? Oh, look, I think it's essential because I think um, I think it's just getting, telling stories, it, it helps people to understand Indigenous culture it changes perspectives and views. It just, I think it's, I think it's um, absolutely essential and I think it's something that's, um, I think increasingly I, I, we're seeing a real demand for, for Indigenous content and it really, it really is going that way. And, and quite frankly, we've, I think in the Territory in particular, we've had incredible success up there with uh, our Indigenous filmmakers. And look, uh, to be honest, I mean, most of those filmmakers have come out of Karma. I mean, Karma's got an amazing history. Incredible. So we really want to look at how we kind of help karma, you know, really kind of reinvigorate karma and start really kind of stimulating those creative juices there, I think, with um, our Indigenous filmmakers. I think um, not just thinking about um, in front of the camera, but, but also, as you were saying, crew. So looking for directors, writers, cinematographers, editors. Um, the more that we can do there... The, the more diversity of stories that we will have and the more diversity of, of stories in Indigenous stories that we'll hear, and I think that's good for all Australians. For people wanting to get involved, how do they get involved with the web series development initiative? All they've got to do is go to Screen Territory's Facebook page. Uh, there's guidelines um, in the, uh, on the Facebook, uh, Facebook page. We're also uploading them to our website. Um, to Screen Territory's website. So if you go to either our Facebook page or Screen Territory's website, um, you'll actually be able to um, download the guidelines. Um, also, um, there's a contact there for um, uh, Melanie McClure, who's our, our Screen Industry Development Manager in Alice Springs, and Sebastian Angborn, um, your Screen Industry Development Manager in Darwin. Um, their phone numbers are on our website. If you have any queries at all, give them a call. Uh, you know, we're always available at Screen Territory. Um, you know, give me a call if you want my numbers up on there, my direct line, so you can always call me as well. So um, go on the Facebook page, Screen Territory website, um, or, you know, or you can call us. So all our numbers are up on, on our website. And, so and that, we can have happy to have a chat. And that's where you can find um, when the other initiatives will be uh, established as well? Yes, yes, that's exactly right. So just watch this space. Uh, I think the, the best thing to do is subscribe to Pixels as well, which is our newsletter, um, because what we'll do is we'll keep updating all of our initiatives as we're, as we're going forward. So, um, so what we'll do is we'll keep um, sort of promoting all of our new initiatives under the centralised banner um, and on Pixels, which is our newsletter. 
So, uh, so subscribe to Pixels as well, and um, it will keep you up to date on everything that we're doing. Get those applications in. I think we're closing in a couple of weeks. So I think we applications close on the 6th of September. So put your ideas forward. That's we're looking for just we're looking for ideas off everyone. So all those wonderful Indigenous um, creators out there, just put your ideas down and, and send it off to us because we really want to hear from you. So we're looking for as many applications as possible and as many different ideas as possible. So, um, yeah, just put them down and get it into us. And if you have any queries at all, just... Uh, contact us directly. We're happy to answer any questions and help you in any way. So we don't have long. So uh, we want to make sure we we want to make sure that the territory is really uh, really represented in this initiative. So <laughs> so we want to make sure we we kind of get all we provide an opportunity for all of our um, emerging practitioners. Indigenous practitioners, yeah. On that note, Jenny Hughes, thanks very much for talking to us here on Calm Radio. Nah, you're welcome, Damien. Love this. It's lovely to speak to you. That was uh, Jenny Hughes there, the uh, CEO, the CEO, sorry, of the uh, the Screen Territory, sorry, uh, and that's going to conclude uh, Strong Voices for today. If you did miss any of the stories or wanted to listen back to the program, you can head to our Karma uh, Spotify. We'll be posting up a podcast of the episode up there from today. Uh, we'll of course be back the same time tomorrow as well, from eleven to twelve with Strong Voices. Stay safe and enjoy the rest of your day. Strong Voices.